Christchurch, New Malden, 19th of July, 2020. Becky Mills speaking on Finding Help Through the Bible. If you've been listening to our services online during lockdown and you've been intrigued by what you've heard and eager to find out more about the Christian faith, then what better place to start than with the Bible, our primary source of truth, revealing the values that we aim to apply to our everyday lives. Many of us have a copy of the Bible on our bookshelves, even if we don't read it regularly. Andrew and I have two weighty volumes of the Mills Family Bible, which is over 200 years old, and the names of Andrew's ancestors are inscribed in it in beautiful copperplate handwriting. It's a treasured family heirloom. But if we just treat the Bible like a prized antique, a remnant from a bygone era that has little relevance today, then we're completely missing out. The Bible is a unique book where we encounter the living God and the story of his relationship with his people. Today, God is inviting you to be part of this story. Some Bibles, like the Gideon Bible, which you may have been given as a gift at school, have a list of go-to Bible passages if you're feeling anxious or distressed. It will give you the title of the book, chapter and verse. Use the table of contents page near the beginning to find the title of the book you're looking for and the page number. Once you've found the book, you then need to look for the chapter and verse number. Some people might find reading a go-to passage like this comforting and helpful, and I've no doubt in my mind that our God is a God of comfort. But if we limit ourselves to dipping into disconnected passages in the Bible, then we're missing out on the bigger picture, the overarching narrative of the Bible, which is the story from start to finish, from Genesis, the first book in the Bible, to Revelation, which is the last. It's the incredible story of God's rescue plan for flawed humanity and for all of creation that we're invited to be part of. Our calling is to repair, rebuild and restore God's world through our relationships and through our impact on the wider community. It's tempting to think that we can't make a difference on our own. But whatever we build, however small, we're throwing a pebble into a still pond and the effects will ripple out forever. As Christians, we call this building the kingdom of God. If the Bible is new to you, it may look like a confusing array of many different books. The word Bible comes from the Greek word biblia, meaning books. It isn't just one book, or even just two, Old Testament and New Testament. It's a whole compendium or library of books in different genres, and they they all have a place within God's story. Whether we're reading about tribal wars and mass slaughter, sibling rivalry and deceit, betrayals and transgressions, or costly compassion and self-sacrifice, All these running stories have their place within the overarching story of God's relationship with his people. So how do we begin? How do we find our own place 
within this story. If you're new to reading the Bible, then I would recommend starting with reading the four Gospels, four different portraits written by Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, which capture the unique and extraordinary life of Jesus, the Son of God. God taking on human flesh, which we call the Incarnation, is the focal point of God's rescue plan. In a unique outpouring of his love, God became a human being. He was born in a common stable. He walked in our streets, wore rough clothing, choked on the dust from the road, faced the burning heat of the sun. He was hungry, tired and thirsty. He built friendships and made enemies. He was persecuted, rejected, betrayed and abandoned. He experienced doubt, temptation, fear, sadness and joy. He even experienced the ultimate frontier that every human being has to cross, death. Think of someone who's obsessed with football. The walls of their bedroom are covered with posters of their favourite team. They watch all the games on TV and they've even been to a stadium to watch a game. So what's missing? Well, this person has never kicked a football. With the first kick of the ball, their relationship with the game changes permanently. They've gained a direct first-hand experience of football and that takes their passion and love of the game to a whole new level. God experienced human frailty, suffering and death firsthand, and he redeemed it through rising again. By sharing his humanity with us, he also shared his mind, his passion, his thinking and his values. Jesus' mission was to revolutionise our hearts and bring God back to the centre of our lives to transform our relationships with one another and with creation and be part of God's planned restoration of the whole of the created order. All of the Old Testament with its catalogue of human catastrophe leans into this point in human history. So if we're to begin with the Gospels, why not start with a well-known story or parable perhaps one you've already come across. Today, I've chosen the story of Jesus being anointed by an unnamed woman in Luke 7, 36-50. When you're reading a Bible passage on your own at home, there are three questions you need to ask. One, what did the passage mean to the original readers? Two, how does the passage fit into the overarching story of God's rescue plan? And three, what does this passage mean for me today? Let's look at this well-known passage in detail. Imagine you're studying this at home and you've begun with a prayer like, Lord God, help me to understand this passage better and apply it to my life. Read it through twice. Now ask the first question. 
What did it mean to the original readers? Notice that Jesus is at the home of a Pharisee. If you need to find out more about the significance of key characters in a story, in this case, a Pharisee, then the simplest way is to Google them and find out. Alternatively, you could use a Bible concordance, which explains a huge amount of biblical terms, key characters, customs and teachings in alphabetical order. The Pharisees were a leading school of religious thought within the Jewish community and were represented on the Sanhedrin, the Jewish courts. The Pharisees believed that the stringent rules of cleanliness that applied within the temple should also be applied to every aspect of life. They were the privileged power brokers who collaborated with the Romans. On one occasion, they shockingly opened the gates of Jerusalem to the Romans to bring about the slaughter of rival factions in the city. Jesus put himself on a collision course with the Pharisees because for him, forgiveness of sins and restoration of God's image bearers were at the very heart of religion, not ritualistic rules of cleanliness and sacrifice. In our passage, Jesus has been invited into the home of Simon, a Pharisee. We might see the Pharisee's invitation to Jesus as a positive bridge-building exercise. But as the story progresses, this looks less and less likely. In Near Eastern culture, it could never have been an accident for an invited guest to be treated so offensively. Simon didn't offer Jesus any of the basic courtesies of hospitality expected at the time. One of them would have been to bring water so your guests could wash the dust off the road from their feet. Even now, in the Near East, you greet your guests with a kiss to show their welcome. You would at that time have offered your guests bread and oil at the very least. The Pharisee, a cultured man, did none of these. Yet Jesus said nothing and sat down to eat. In the region where Jesus lived, homes are open to everyone. It wouldn't have been difficult for a stranger to wander in and be offered food. Simon would have known of the uninvited guest and he would have seen it as a rare opportunity to test Jesus. How will Jesus react to her presence? Women would never approach men, let alone let their hair down in public. And for a woman to dry a man's feet with her hair was degrading and disgraceful. One step after another, her actions became more and more humiliating for her and for those present, with the exception of Jesus. She kissed his feet and poured perfume on them. The other guests at the meal would have been really embarrassed. Most hosts would have intervened to end this deeply embarrassing situation and shield his guests from this intruder. Notice that Jesus didn't react to the woman. He reacted to Simon's innermost thoughts. He knew that Simon had set out to embarrass and insult him. Jesus turned to Simon and told him a story. 
a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they couldn't pay, he cancelled the debts of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon could not escape the logic of Jesus' question. I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the greater debt. Jesus affirms his wise answer. But he admonishes Simon by comparing him unfavourably to, to the woman that Simon condemned in his heart. Jesus listed all the ways Simon had failed to demonstrate hospitality to him in contrast to the woman. Every single thing that Simon had not done, the woman had done instead. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wept, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. With this comparison, Jesus turned everything upside down. Simon was transformed from the proud host to the disgraced person. And the woman who was supposed to be disgraced according to the custom of that time became the hospitable host. Instead of a direct confrontation, Jesus says nothing about his poor treatment to begin with. Jesus challenges Simon by reflecting back the corrupt nature of the religion he had devoted his life to guarding. The more the Pharisees resented Jesus and fought against his way of teaching, the more compassion Jesus released. If we look at this woman, we can see how she put her self-worth at Jesus' feet. Through her humiliating actions, she shared her dignity and made herself worthless in the eyes of those around her because all that mattered was showing Jesus' love. Just as this woman humbled herself before everyone, God humbled himself by becoming one of us, dying the death of a common brigand to model the love that we should show one another in building his kingdom. This is how the passage fits into the overarching story of God's rescue plan. I hope my talk today will help some of you who are new to the Bible think about what this passage means for you today. So where to go from here? My preferred method is to read and reflect on a passage in the Bible through the Church of England daily prayer app on my phone. Others amongst you might like to explore ways of reading through the whole Bible in a year or over a longer period of time. Some of you may prefer to use published daily readings, which will also guide your thoughts, like Word Live, that you can order online, or from Joe Henson, a member of our 11 o'clock congregation. However you choose to familiarise yourself with the Bible, don't forget that it's not some fossilised document from ancient times. It isn't a library of disconnected stories. 
It's the overarching narrative of God's rescue of our world and your place within it. It's the living and active word of God with a vital power to bring about God's purposes and build his kingdom. Today I've talked about the tender love modelled by a woman who encounters Jesus. She was lifted up by Jesus, rescued by God's gift of forgiveness, unlike the admonished Pharisee who blindly and arrogantly dismisses her as a sinful woman. In Matthew 23, 12, it says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's only when we lower ourselves and acknowledge our human frailty that we're offered forgiveness, and the more connected we are with our need for forgiveness, the more tenderness, compassion and forgiveness will be released in us to repair and rebuild the kingdom of God. This wonderful truth stands at the centre of God's rescue plan for the world that he invites you to be part of. Amen.